It's a Punk Rock Classrooms podcast, Summer Conversation Series, Episode 3, with Alex Valensic and Kyle Anderson. Classrooms crew, this is Josh Buckley, and we have a double interview episode today as we keep trucking along on our summer conversation series. Remember, the big question we're asking is what's the one thing you would do to change education? And on this episode, I sit down with Kyle Anderson, a special education teacher in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. And for the second half of this episode, Mike sits down uh, with Alex Valensic, a uh, professional learning coordinator in Illinois is talking about what they would do to change education. So check it out. Here we go. Let's start off with Kyle. All right. Thank you so much, Kyle, for coming on. Kyle Anderson, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're on the show, man. Tell us about you. First of all, Josh, thank you so much for having me come on. It's an absolute pleasure, delight, (laughs) insert all other fun adjectives there. Uh, No, this is absolutely great. So uh, so real quick, a little bit about me. Kyle Anderson, I am a special education teacher in Las Vegas, Nevada. I am going into my 17th year in education here coming up this fall, and I've been a social studies teacher for most of that. So 11 years, I taught social studies, and then I got into tech coaching for a short time. I was a middle school dean for a short time, decided it was just not for me at that juncture in my life. Mm -hmm. So then I got into PE for a short time. Uh, That's what was available uh, when I decided that admin just wasn't for me. And then I did most of that. Those 13 years were in Las Vegas. And then I did move to Reno, Nevada for a couple of years and uh, got a job as a special education teacher there and kind of realized that was my calling. I think I really, truly enjoy working in special ed. So that is what I've been doing now for the last three years. And then I am also a podcaster. I co-host two podcasts, the Beer EDU podcast with my friend Ben Dixon and I'm also half of the podcast by the Sons of Technology with my friend Joe Marquez. And then I am also an author. I wrote the book To the Edge, Successes and Failures Through Risk-Taking, a kind of a deep dive on different times in my life where I've taken risks and the consequences that surrounded those risks, good and bad, um, kind of through the lens of yeah. me as an educator and as a human being. So uh, that can be found on Amazon, on barnesandnoble.com. You can also get it through my publisher, Edu Match Publishing. So uh, yeah, so that's just of, kind of me in a nutshell. Kyle, you've 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 dabbled in like specialist work and classroom teaching and being a dean and being a you know and now in special education. So I think that you are a perfect person to answer this question because you've had your hand in a little bit of everything throughout your career. You've worked in special ed. You've been a dean. You've worked in and technology. And in fact, you host a podcast about technology. So, so you have this. And so I'll be curious as to where, where you take this. Um, so our big question we're asking everybody is if there's one thing you could change about education, what would it be? That's our summer conversation. So what do you got, Kyle? What's the one thing you would change if you could about education? Well, I got to say, I was thinking about this ahead of time and uh, <laughs> I'm having a hard time narrowing it down to just one, but for the sake of our conversation now, I will just narrow it down to one thing. So one of the big things, part of the time I've been a teacher, 
I worked in a school that had a CTE focus, career and technical education. Yeah. So the school, the, the students that were attending that school, they declared a quote unquote major when they went to the school. So my school had a variety of different focuses. I taught students that were mostly in the business and marketing program or the culinary program. But we also had students that wanted to become educators eventually. We had a construction trades track. We had an auto technology track, an IT track. So we had these different programs that students could focus on where starting freshman year, they took classes in these areas. And then eventually they could earn certificates in these areas. So a culinary student could, they could have their health card and then go straight into working in a Las Vegas strip casino restaurant. In fact, I've got former students that are, maybe not executive chefs at those restaurants, but they are one of the main people running yeah. those restaurants now. And then my students that were in the marketing program, they got different certificates. And then students that were in the nursing program, they were able to go right into a doctor's office and work as yeah. a result of this. And I looked at this and I think about this every day. Why can't all schools be like this? Well, I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that all schools have to be a career and technical academy of sorts, like the schools that I worked at, but we spend so much time telling kids, you have to go to college, you have to go to college. And I even cringe when I say this, but not every kid is going to go to college. Not every kid is has to, right? Not every kid has to go to college. No. And in fact, so many careers out there can pay so much more with less training than a four-year college degree, but yet we still are just drilling kids left and right you have to go to college. And, and I really, I look at whenever they talk about career and college ready or college and career ready, whichever way you want to say it, yeah. there's always that emphasis on the college part. And again, I, I'm not against kids going to college. I mean, you and I between us probably have six or seven college degrees. I mean, <laughs> we're the product of going to college, but that's not every kid that's out there. Right. There's a lot of kids out there that are very hands-on learners that could dive into the engine of a car rip that thing apart and put it back together in two hours where you and I, how many YouTube videos are we going to watch? And <laughs> we're never going to be able to put it back together. Right. So, and and we need those jobs because cars are going to break down right now. I just uh, closed on a house and I've been doing a lot of work on my house. Granted, a lot of, I have been able to do myself because I grew up in a house where my dad knew how to do those things. And I learned from them, but there's some things I just, I can't do. I mean, as, as silly as this sounds, I went to hook up my gas dryer and I smelled gas. I'm like, you know, I'm not messing with that. I'm not hooking up my <laughs> That's dryer. That's probably so a good idea. <laughs> I called the gas company and had them come do it. And it took them five minutes to figure out what the problem was. Uh, but again, I don't like blowing things up, especially in my home. So, <laughs> but that's a job that a kid could get out of high school if they wanted to, if we pointed them in the direction to it. So yeah, I, I think it starts with really just giving students the options, talking to kids. It doesn't mean necessarily offering the courses, but just showing them the way of how that can happen. And I think it needs to start before high school. It has to start in late elementary school, in my opinion, and, and through middle school before kids are in high school to where they can start figuring these things out. Yeah, I think you're right. That idea of like when we talk about like career exploration, right? What does that look like, especially at the at the at the younger grades and we talk about here are opportunities for you when you look at STEM or hands-on things that kind of point kids in a direction, whether it could be something in, you know, um, the 
you know, architecture or construction or auto or whatever. So they can see all the options are out there. Cause I, I know you and I grew up in, we grew up in the great state of Michigan. And, Indeed. <laughs> and, you know, I remember trying to explain to people like when you, like my dad worked for general motors forever, right? Like that's what my dad did. General motors kid. And uh, my mother worked for nine one one, both very, you know, blue collar jobs. And, when I thought about when you go to college, what do you do? And in Michigan, I was like, well, you go into the medical profession or you go into education. Like those were, those are the things I knew as a kid. Those are the things that you could do one, because eh, there were schools everywhere. And two, everybody had healthcare because of general motors. So there was always a need for like nurses and, and healthcare stuff. But I think about had I, I went to a really small school. Had I maybe seen some of those opportunities? I mean, I'm completely happy where I'm at, but I just didn't, no. Right. Um, and, and are we doing kids a disservice by not showing them all of the opportunities are out there and continually, whether we say it out loud or not, um, we always, we point to this idea of college, 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 college. And you and I both know every time you get that next master's degree, it's a little more expensive. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, you know, we see that and, and we go, okay, so is, is the cost of college right for everybody? Is that track the best bet for every student out there? And I got to agree with you. I don't know that it is. Yeah. And I mean, living in Las Vegas, this is a city that is growing exponentially. And it has ever since I moved here in 2005, I, when I moved here, I was one of probably 30,000 new residents that month to the city of Las Vegas. I, and I'm not even joking when yeah. I say that. And after the pandemic, Las Vegas, while not fully recovered, it, it's on the rise once again. And people are moving here because there's opportunity here. They're, the weather is gorgeous here all year round. Now, granted, it gets a little hot, not as hot as where you're at. I mean, but we did have a stretch of 117 several days in a row here recently. <laughs> but I think about, you've got the service industry jobs here, which I mean, for the most part, when the economy is good, those are nice, steady, good paying jobs. But when the economy tanks, like in the pandemic, those jobs disappear. But you're always going to need electricians. You're always going to need plumbers. You're always going to need carpenters. And these are jobs that not only do you not need a four-year college degree to have them, you get paid while you're in the training for them. So if you can get into the unions here in and Las Vegas. Apprenticeship and all that. Right. Yeah. You get in these apprenticeship programs and they're going to pay you a good wage. We're talking like almost 20 bucks an hour just to train you for those first couple of years. And then once you're in, now your rate's going to go up even higher and you're going to get great benefits as well. And again, that's something that a kid that may not necessarily be interested in college. Right. And it's, that's, I mean, we all know some, some students are, are really great with hands-on stuff. Some kids are really good at building things. Some kids are really great at sort of that aspect of stuff. Like you mentioned before, put taking something together, putting it, you know, taking something apart, putting it back together, those sorts of things that not everybody's good at. Now, as a, as a, as a special education teacher, as a, you know, as a CTE teacher, you know, in a CTE program before that, not a CTE teacher, but how do you go about talking to your students about all the options that are out there? How do you make this change happen? Well, as a high school special education teacher, one of the requirements for individual education plans, IEPs, is the transition piece. So what yeah. is your plan for after high school and what is it going to take to get you there? And with some kids, especially this year, I had all freshmen in my case. So a lot of them, they, they just don't know. 
they don't know what they want to do. And it could be a combination of the pandemic just made some students apathetic to that conversation, which frankly, I don't blame them because this year was just so awful, but they truly just may not know. I was not that student. I knew kind of what I wanted to do when I was that age, but some kids don't. Um, but presenting them with the different options. So here's a college route. Here's a trade route. These are some options around the city of Las Vegas and, and the surrounding area that you could get into. I, I've used different uh, kind of career exploration tools. There's this one called ONET that I really like where kid goes in and answers a handful of questions and then it spits out some feedback. Hey, you'd be really good in this area. Um, this area, maybe not so much. Well, awesome. well, Kyle, you know, thank you so much for sharing. This is another one of those. I mean, we're, I'm so stoked to kind of put this together and hear where everybody's at. Cause for us, this ends up being a big reflection tool because you said it, it was, it's really hard to narrow it down to what's that one thing. But I think when Mike and I go back and look at all of these different things, we're going to see all these real cool pieces of this conversation um, that we've heard from everybody. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you an opportunity. Where can people find you online in the internet worlds so that they can find out what you're up to and what you're doing? So I am active on Twitter at Anderson EdTech is my handle there. And then I use the same thing for Instagram, Anderson EdTech. Uh, that one's a little bit more on the personal side. So if you want to see pictures of my family, you'll, you'll see that one a little bit more. I don't do that on the Twitter. That one is strictly educational. Um, again, I got my podcast, the Beer EDU podcast, the Sons of Technology. Uh, those are available on all the platforms where pods are cast. And then um, I've got a blog that I write. Uh, it's at AndersonEdTech.net. Um, I have been a little bit lack on that one as of late with everything going on. But I do get some ideas brewing for a few new blog posts coming up here. And then again, my book, To the Edge, Successes and Failures to Risk-Taking on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble, my publisher, Edge Match Publishing. There's a website for that, tothedgeedu.com. And then there's also an Instagram for that, tothedgeedu. All right. So all the places that you can find Kyle at and, and, and hit him up and talk ed tech with him. Talk a little ed tech with him. See, see, see what he thinks the, the good stuff is that you should be doing in your classroom as well. All right, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. You're the man. And I look forward to bringing you and your partner in crime from the Beer EDU podcast on to uh, chat with Mike and I in the fall for a big old episode, my friend. It's going to be good times. Thanks, brother. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again. All right. Here we are. I think I kind of stole you from Josh, Alex. I think he mentioned he wanted to get you on and I was like, oh, no, I'm taking Alex. So, Go, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to, to all our listeners and let us know kind of who you are if they don't already know who you are? Yeah. So, yeah. So, again, I'm Alex Walensic. And, yeah, I know Josh was excited. He wanted to get me on so he could learn how to say my last name correctly. But hopefully he's heard it a couple of times now, so he'll make sure he gets it right. So and I am currently working as a professional learning coordinator in a K-12 school district in northwestern Illinois. Before that, I was actually within the district. My job, I was the 21st century teaching and learning coordinator in my district, which is something I did for three years. And it was always fun for me because I told people from the start of that job that my goal was to make the job unnecessary, that we wouldn't need a 21st century teaching and learning coordinator because staff would be using the practices appropriate for the current day we live in and not using some of those 19th century practices that don't seem to want to go away. And here I am getting ready to enter year four and my boss changed my job title. So I'm the professional learning coordinator 
Before that, I taught fourth grade in Urbana, Illinois for seven years and worked as a substitute teacher three years before that. So done a lot of different things in education, but I always like to share that it was my childhood dream to be a fourth grade teacher. It was something I decided when I was in fourth grade, I was going to do it. And then it's like, I, that was the first full-time job I got. And I said, like, oh, I need to figure out what my next step is going to be because I achieved the childhood dream and I've still got a whole career ahead of me. So trying to kind of move into more of the leadership and hopefully one day get into an admin role. But I'm excited for the work I get to do now, leading and coordinating professional learning for the entire district. That's that's awesome. So two things before we jump into why we're really here today. You so you knew in fourth grade you wanted to specifically be be a fourth grade teacher. Why fourth grade? Uh, I think part was that my fourth grade teacher, Kathleen McNamara, she was just an amazing teacher. And it was that was the first year that I realized that learning could be more than doing worksheets and just kind of going through the motions school that I was when I'm good at playing school when you, you can give me the task and I will go through the motions and I will do the things but that was the year that it became much more of a lot of student-centered work in a year where you know the the vocabulary that we use today wasn't used then. like it was a student-centered classroom we did a lot of project-based learning it was a lot of peer-to-peer support and our teacher was really there more of a facilitator of learning than someone just you know, that sage on the stage mentality. And it is that whole experience. I was like, I love what I'm doing in school. And in my mindset, it was like, well, K through third grade, you couldn't do those things. It was fourth grade when you were able to start doing those things. So I was like, yeah, I want to teach fourth grade. Then as I got older, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty much a 10 year old boy at heart. So teaching fourth grade was perfect for me because the mindset that I have of, you know, just that attitude, that approach to the world. I found fourth graders are starting to be aware of the world around them. And they get very indignant when they realize things are not the way they're supposed to be, but they still trust their teacher enough to say, how are you going to help me fix the world? And that's what I love being able to do in that. That's, that's awesome. Because I mean, like for me, I went into English language arts because those were pretty much the teachers that you know, saw past all of the exterior of the Mohawk and all the punk rock stuff and saw me for who I was and really pushed me to, to the potential they they saw in me. So, I mean, I guess that's why I chose that subject. I just, I was intrigued that it was fourth grade, but being in an elementary setting myself now, there truly is a huge difference between like, you know, the grade levels where there's certain people that, fourth grade might be their one where then second grade's like a completely whole different different uh monster so we're here we got one question for you and you you kind of already answered it on twitter a couple weeks ago so i'm sure you're just going to expand on it more but if you could change one thing in education what would it be so my my answer was that I'm already working on it and it is changing the way we do professional learning in our schools or doing PD. So I'll actually put this as a question to you, Mike, is when you think of PD, what is the typical experience of PD for a teacher in really any grade level, any setting? So if it's district provided, because we all have our institute days and school improvement days, my experience has been, it is a 
one size fits all. They bring in a presenter to whatever the buzzword is. Is it guided reading? Is it, you know, daily five? Is it, you know, um, whatever is the new thing in education? And they deliver it to the entire district, which it doesn't really apply to the entire district. Um, or sometimes if you go to these, seek out your own PD, um, I've been to many where it's a million things are thrown at you in six, seven hours. And then it's like, well, now to, to implement any of it, it would be stuff you would have to spend time, hours planning. So to me, when I, and that's, I think more of the majority that I've experienced, because I, there has been some shift in professional development and, um, through social media and like, you know, how things we've connected through Twitter and teach better and the teach better mastermind. Like there's some really good approaches out there, but I think that's one thing many districts do is they just, Oh, here's a presenter and we're going to bring it in and everyone's going to sit through it for the day. So that was pretty much what has been happening in my district for long before I came in. And the other part of that is the PD we had, we had those four institute days that in Illinois, that's what we have. We have those four days of their district institutes. And then we would have half day school improvement days. And those days, almost every time, was just what you said, it was at the building is everybody and stuff was brought together and given training on one thing. And at the elementary buildings, almost every time was guided reading. And every time I would get emails from our PE teachers, our music teachers, our yeah. art teachers were saying, Alex, why are we in this training on guided reading? Yes, we want to integrate literacy and those things into the curriculum, but the PE teacher is never going to do guided reading in their job. It's just not right. what they're ever going to do. Right. So it became for me this quest to say, how do we get our professional development to, first of all, I hate the term professional development. I really prefer professional learning, but I'll still use it interchangeably, talk right. about PE, but how do we move that to where it's applicable to all of our staff? And how do we get it to move beyond just those four days that are happening every year where, like I said, it was either one person came in addressing everybody, or there were a few times where we'd have a whole bunch of like 30-minute sessions over the course of the day. And then the teachers were like, I am overwhelmed. There's too much information. I don't have time to put it into practice. And we never came back and talked about that work at all. We'd do it. And then we'd move forward and there's never any follow-up. So my first year in my district, I had asked a question and said, why don't we offer PD for staff outside of the regular contract time? And the response I got, which I don't even remember who told me, so it's not like I'm trying to like protect him, but I don't remember who told me. They said, oh, staff doesn't come to outside PD, so we don't offer it. And I said, how are they supposed to come to something that we're not offering in the first place. Like we've, we've kind of created this self-fulfilling prophecy. Staff don't come to things, but we're not offering anything for them to come to. Right. I said, so I, to me, it felt like, okay, if we need to change our PD, there's two things we need to change. One, we need to have a connection of that professional learning from the learning event to what the teachers are doing in practice to give them time to actually put it into place and then reflect and come back and meet with people again to say, hey, here's what I tried out. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. 
let's get some feedback about what can we change moving forward. And the other part was, how do we make it so our institute days are not that single topic where we have that keynote speaker who stands on the stage yelling at everybody for two hours and they take a sip of their water, they walk off the stage and we never hear from them again. Right. But keynote speakers, they bring a lot of energy, but then they leave and we don't hear from them again. So I've had some meetings with my superintendent and then my new executive director of curriculum and instruction. I said, I want to change our format of professional learning where I want us to be able to take our institute days and offer several different sessions throughout the day. Big chunks of time, like 90 minutes where there can be learning and then exploring and planning and getting ready to put into practice. Nice. And we started doing that. And I've been asked, it's like, how do you know the impact of this change? In 2019, our January Institute Day, we had over 50 teachers in the district who used personal days and sick days on the Institute Day. They just weren't there. A district that has less than 500 staff, that's a huge number of people who are just, Institute Days aren't worth my time. I'm going to plan all of my doctor's appointments on that day, or I'm going to use a personal day so I can like do a ton of laundry and balance my checkbook and make sure my bills are being paid on time. Right. This last year, this was our first time doing our Institute Day. Well, this is our first year where we had these sessions, the longer amount of time. We had five people who were absent that day. And three of them called in that morning because they had family medical emergencies. There were two planned absences instead of 50. So we're like, wow, like, we put something together that people wanted to come to, and they did come to it. Nice. I mean, and I love it. And I agree. That's something that needs to change. Um, I'm, a, I'm big into, as a building leader, our staff meetings, I look at that as like our professional development time for me, not just to give them bullet points that they can read in an email, you know. So that's how I kind of approach it. But I love what you're doing. And it's obviously working to go from 50% uh, or however many call-offs you had 50% of the staff or whatever to only having five, which yeah. And in January people have kids and it's flu season. I get it. Like, you know, there's those times you have to call off. So what you're doing is working and um, yeah, I just kudos to you. And I, it's like what we say to the teachers, you want to have our, the kids running to your classroom. You want them to want to come. We need to do the same for staff. We need them to want to come to professional learning, to, you know, staff meetings, to whatever it is to better themselves. It's not, you know, an eight to four job in education. Like there's, there's more that goes into it. So I, I agree with you, Alex. I think you're on the right track. Uh, Kudos to you. I'm excited to see kind of what happens with the rest of your district, with the work you're doing. And I just have this feeling that hopefully it can trickle out and, and find its way to, to other districts, you know, not just Illinois, but across uh, the country. So, so you can tell our listeners, how can they um, contact you or reach out to you or find you or follow you? Best way to find me is I'm on all the social media platforms, Alex T. Valencic. Start typing in the name. If you misspell it, you'll probably still find me because as far as I know, I am the only Alex T. Valencic in the world. Nice. So that's uh, Twitter is definitely my preferred handle, but you can find me on Instagram. I, I try to use it. I think my teddy bear uses Instagram more than I do, but 
find him too. If you want to follow the adventures of a yellow teddy bear, it's Cornelius Valencic, but he, he's on Instagram, but I'm on there. Like you can find me on Facebook. Although I mean, I'm, I'm much more limited with who I add in my network on Facebook. So let's say Twitter is definitely the best one though. It's Alex Stevens. Perfect. We'll put those in the show notes. Alex, thanks for coming on. I got a feeling we're going to ask you to come back on for a full length episode because you've got so much to share. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed both of those conversations and what both those gentlemen had to say about what they would do to change education. Now, as always, you can find the show over at www.punkrockclassrooms.com. You can follow Mike and I and the show on both Twitter and Instagram at the same handles, right? So the show is at Punk Classrooms on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Josh R. Buckley on both of those. And Mike is at Mike R. Earnshaw on both of those. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Uh, remember, share the podcast with your friends. Check it out. Um, you know, let people know about Punk Rock Classrooms podcast, and we'll see you at the show. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We'll see you on the next episode.